hello, hello, and welcome to the Vagabond Way podcast. The journey goes ever on with the long road. This episode, Kevl sign your breast or chest. A slightly more in control, but still a little bit bonkers, chat betwixt our three long roaders, Steve Bonham, Kev Moore, and Chris, the Bishop Leiden, that's me, this time discussing the rituals and riders we've come across in our careers, either our own little things we do to get grounded before a gig, or the demands musicians make backstage. Kev takes on the next stage of his Camino trek, and Steve shares thoughts on composing in the open air. The Vagabond Way podcast, featuring the long road, is exploring the world of the troubadour, the adventure of the vagabond. The world isn't beige, it isn't processed, it's authentic, it's it's rich and it's real. If those are the sorts of sentiments that make your brain light up, then hop on board. We're embracing all of those things, we're celebrating all of that, and we'd love it if you joined us on the journey. Greetings, I am Chris the Bish Leiden. A pleasure to have you with us for another slice of life in a rock and roll band. Lots of hashtag content to get through, so I'll be brief. Uh, the Festival of the Artisan at Home has launched. We're super excited for The Long Road to be headlining, along with Bella Hardy and Blair Dunlop at the festival. Check out festivaloftheartisan.co.uk for all the details. Box office there and more announcements to come. In particular, we are searching for emerging acoustic acts to complete our lineup for the Festival Club. Head to our social media, Festival of the Artisan, to find out more or festivalofthearticsan.co.uk slash artisan club. On to our, again this week, perhaps a little bit silly, uh, three-way chat between Kev Moore and Steve Bonham and myself discussing the rituals and riders we've come across or demanded in our time out there on the road. Uh, now, this is new. If you like what we do, consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash thelongroadband. Um, anyway, just because it was a funny start, I'm going to drop you right in with a, a brief moment of out-of-context surrealism for you. Uh, the moment soon passes, don't worry. Here we go. Over to, to Steve. <laughs> Landed in plenty of airports, I should think, over the last five or six years. And stuck outside has been a painted cow, a painted absolutely uh, painted yes, they, camel. I, I used to think the... they followed me around. Uh, <laughs> wow! So this might be more of just the silly nonsense what chats rather than anything yeah. particularly. R- rather than the serious no, we one we've just done, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, about about the elephants. Yeah. Hello, everybody. The long road are together again for another of our online chats. Great to have you with us. We've got Steve at home in Derbyshire. Hello, Steve. What language will it be this week? Sayonara, Bishop. Sayonara. Sayonara. Okay. Great. And we've got Kev at home in Spain. Let's see. Kev. Bom dia. Bom dia. Now, is that Portuguese? It is Portuguese, Chris. Yes, it oh. is. Oh. Great. So that's, that's going to be our new theme, isn't it? What language are Stephen Kev going to say hello to Bishop in on every podcast? I look forward to hearing, you know, I don't know how many thousands of languages there are around the world. That will keep us going for a while, won't it? It will, some, yes. some research for you chaps. So I was looking through my old tweets the other day in relation to the Festival of the Artisan we've got coming up because we were sort of rescuing the old Festival of the Artisan uh, Twitter account. And I was just scrolling through some of the 
things that had been mentioned on there. And one of the one of the last ones that's on there uh, was actually from the very first festival back in 2018, uh, and it was a tweet from me, which I, which I thought was mixed emotions or because I thought it was sort of sad that this that this was three years ago, such a long time ago, and we can't be doing live music now. But also, I thought it was absolutely on brand for both me and the occasion and the band. Uh, so this tweet read something like, "It's 1 a.m. I'm sat in Steve Bonham's kitchen eating brie with a spoon after a gig, and that sounds about right." <laughs> And, it, and for me, it feels almost like a different world thinking back to the the post gig rituals that we all have. Yeah. And for, I mean, for me and Steve, for for a lot of our gigs, there was this post gig ritual that Steve was sometimes not quite so on board on, but his his daughters would often be fully running Steve ahead with was going back to Steve's kitchen to have um, you know some some drinks, some wine, uh, and inevitably somebody would announce cheese, and cheese would appear, and we'd start chipping away at the Manchego being one of the um, being one of the favorites yeah. Yeah. if steve was in a in a fruity mood at around 1am would say do we have any prawns <laughs> and some prawns would be, would appear probably from the freezer and a large block of garlic uh, and a large hunk of uh, butter and some chili flakes and within minutes we'd have delicious garlic chili prawns with hunks of bread to fit in uh, for me that ritual of sort of the post gig feast if you like it's such an important part of it. But after you've done a gig, you can't go to bed. No, you can't go to bed because you're <laughs> yeah. up there. You're up round the light bulb, yeah. you know. And po- post-gig scran yeah. is, is something from time immemorial. I mean, we, we were in the band I was in in the 80s, Tubeless Hearts. Um, we were cursed, really, because we, we lived or we were based around the Wakefield area in Yorkshire. And one of the greatest post-gig places to eat was a cafe called Redbeck's, which was a transport cafe on the outskirts mm. of, of Wakefield. Even though we were, by the time we got back from some gig in the northeast or whatever, we were only five minutes from home, we'd still mm. go to Redbeck's like all the other bands that were travelling around the country because that's, yeah. where, that's where you meet up with all the other bands and talk about how bad or how great the night had been compare notes and eat the most amazingly unfeasibly large English breakfasts at, at like three in the morning, you know, and then yes. and then finally go home. But you, until you'd done that, you you couldn't call it a night, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I would meet some of the strangest celebrities in these places over the years, you know, as disparate as, as like Leo Sayer, Rod Hull, without his emu. Yeah. Uh, Rory Gallagher at Scotch Corner Services I met. Uh, all every everybody doing the same thing, you know. It's part of the ritual of it, and I mean, I have very fond memories of me and Steve at McDonald's on the M1 somewhere, Watford Gap, probably at one a.m. ordering. We don't really know what we just sort of you know order a bunch of stuff and put our hand in the bo- in the bag and whatever we get we eat <laughs> because we were. It was four o'clock in the morning, and we were just having to drive. We were having to drive for three hours or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it's part of the the appeal of it. I mean, I, I will never forget when we were in our camper van in twenty nineteen. You know, Kev's <laughs> bowl of hot Wheatos or whatever. Yeah, what, what, absolutely. What it, yeah, it's uh, normally uh, malted yeah. wheats. I think. Yes. Yeah. That ritual is part of the part of the part of the game. Dear, dear listener, this is actually the situation. Okay. So I'm up for it. I've got my can of strong French or uh, German lager and then I'm sitting on a little camper table and there's Chris with his toast and jam and... Uh, <laughs> apricot jam. Uh, uh, apricot jam and <laughs> Kev with his hot milk <laughs> and me with my <laughs> dirty little secret in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's the, that's rock and roll. Back when me and Steve started gigging together, um, when I was a, a, a teenager, um, there were some occasions where the um, the alcohol started flowing a little bit too early, and the the the, the gig may or may not have suffered from it. So there, there came a point where I actually consciously would not drink at all before a gig or during a gig until afterwards. And, but because I knew I needed this time to unwind afterwards, and then rather than getting massively drunk, I would just eat a lot of cheese and um, yeah. garlic garlic prawns. <laughs> that was always my thing, really. For some people, it's, you know, the booze or whatever other substances, but part of it is the decompressing with your pals. Yeah. yeah. So, sort of post-match analysis a little bit, uh. but also just enjoying the enjoying the chemicals of the performance yeah yeah, yeah. i do remember yeah. i do remember chris's early days so i mean he is very sober on the road though and actually a a, a lesson to us all god Chris, one was as i was packing the speakers away looking out the corner of my eye, i find him tangoing across the room with a, a lady stricken in more years than he was worth <laughs> and, and he was doing really well actually the fall <laughs> You know, torrid or bit. I fear I've missed your best years, Bish. <laughs> it got me thinking about what other rituals or riders we might have come across in our, in our career. Yeah. Um, for me, a, a fabulous memory, which actually has a bit of a, a sad end to it just very recently. So me and Steve years ago, where we did uh, our Get Your Boots On tour, where Steve was walking the length of Hadrian's Wall and I was driving the van alongside him with all the sound gear in. So to our friend Trish, who was helping us uh, run the run the tour, well, was running the tour for us, basically, she asked us what our riders were. And I jokingly said, a, you know, a joke, I want a martini glass filled with blue M&Ms to the rim. Uh, and thought nothing more of it. That was just, it was just a joke. On the morning when we were all leaving the tour, we went for breakfast and she presented us all little gifts and she presented me with a martini glass filled with blue M&M's to the rims and a little a sort of sparkly straw in it. I was absolutely floored. <laughs> I spoke to John, her husband, later on, and John had been the one who'd had to buy the all the packets of M&M's and, and empty the blue out. ones out. Yeah. Trish was very much the manager in that role and John was the executioner. <laughs> M&M's, of course, are historical in music now. I mean... Um, Van Halen were thought to be rather frivolous, like your good self, Chris, with M&M's. Just, they they yeah. thought that they'd ask for all the brown ones to be taken out just, just to have a laugh. But in fact, when they would write their riders out, which would include specifications for entrance, uh, entrances for getting equipment in for the crew and everything, and arriving at huge venues where their PA wouldn't fit through the doors... Uh, and because it was hard to check the rider and check everything was how it should be, what they started to do was write in uh, a bowl of M&Ms in the dressing room with all the brown ones taken out, and the first thing they would do is check the bowl of M&Ms, and if they hadn't removed the brown ones, they knew that they hadn't read the rider. rider so it was yeah. the best uh. way, to, it was the quickest way to find out that the venue and the, and the management there hadn't, Look, read their instructions. Um, it's funny with it. Yeah, you're right, though. I mean, little rituals and getting your head in the right place. Uh, uh, and alcohol. Alcohol and music, you're absolutely you're right. And uh, don't mix well at all. Some of the worst gigs I've ever been to, the band have been drunk or the, the singer's been drunk. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. Um, when I was playing in a, the folk band in the, in the 80s, we were doing lots of gigs and... We had a group meeting with Ed Ratz. It nobody drinks until afterwards. In those days, I was I was very much the front man. So I was, you know, and, and it's a funny role actually if you're doing it because you've actually got a lot, particularly a smaller band. If you've got a big band yeah. and you've got a crew, then but you end up with 
guitars, leads, lyrics you've got to remember, and an audience out there. And it, it, it's, I find it quite hard work. I don't know, you get good, yeah. reasonably good at it, but it's a lot to think about. Anyway, this no alcohol thing was not helping me. So, uh, so I, I then got in a, you know, I, I used to sneak, it's terrible, isn't it? Like a naughty boy. I'd sneak out, have a pint of beer, come back, you know, chewing polo mints, try not to breathe on the others. And, and I was fine. You know, and it was only ever one pint. I still do it. I still do it. I, yeah. yeah. I still do it. Yeah. Have my quiet little pint to myself. And if I don't do that, I feel on edge, you know. Do you do you have any little get your heads in the right place, Kev? After all these years, do you when before you start? Uh, normally, something will... you think. If I don't do that, I'll feel rattled. Yeah, I guess it's checking the guitars and and just the ritual of of getting ready. Really, especially some of the the gigs where I'm wearing certain stage gear, and sometimes it'll be just the process of putting on bracelets and rings and things like that, which is just. A calming thing somehow. It's yeah, just... I guess. I guess when I was thinking about what Kev, Kev's ritual might be, I was thinking sort of that the sort of putting the armor on, putting yeah, on exactly. your your your, your, bit, your bits of costume for ready to go into battle. That was one of the things I thought. Exactly, exactly. Might. So, Bish. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. Yeah. As you know, guys, because you've had the misfortune to play with me for years, <laughs> me on stage is a fairly uh, emergent and somewhat chaotic experience. And what really <laughs> always kind of uh, makes me smile. It is, I've gone to such immense lengths not to do that uh, beforehand. <laughs> and yet it still happens. And uh, I often think, if I hadn't done, if I hadn't done the sort of centering and grounding before I went on, what, what actually might happen? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Would, would, it, would it be peaceful and calm or would it be even more carnage? Who knows? You know, it's, we should try one day. We should try it, shouldn't we? It's funny, you know, you do. I get voices, terrible thing. I get voices in my head saying, say this, it's going to be interesting. And then, yeah. and then you say it and you think that wasn't very interesting at all now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is another huge topic, but I mean, for you guys, after a gig... I prefer to pack down and get my stuff. And then after a bit, I'm ready to do the socialising bit and eat the cheese and the bread and, the, and drink the wine. I consider myself sort of an introvert musician. I like the performing, but I don't necessarily like the, the interactions uh, with people afterwards. But some people are the exact opposite. They love the performing and they love to get the, the interactions and the adulation and the, and the chat with the groupies afterwards. It's a difficult yeah. balance, well, that, because I, I do a lot of shows where they really need you back out there quite quickly you're virtually told to go out to the the merch stand and what have you and it is important to be out there as well ordinarily i would really like half an hour just to get myself back together and then go out but yeah. often you're literally still dripping from the stage and and you have to get out there and do it i think you might protest a little too much kev just thinking yeah. about the last gig we played Go where on. exactly, exactly the behaviour, uh, you know, continuum. Chris, oh, yes. Oh, Rufus, yes. Packing down. everything away. I was chatting to the audience. You were adopted by them. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So, dear listener, this is what you can expect, you know. You come to a gig, there'll be Chris who'll kind of do the kind of nice benediction type wave and then get, yeah. get if wave, away. If you wave look. cheese at him, he might talk to you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> looks, make himself look busy polishing his tuba. Um, there's me, you know, 
you know, being as gracious as I can and talking about things. And But if you want your breasts or chests signed, you're best going to Kev, really. That's, <laughs> that's how... <laughs> I think that might be this week's episode title there. (laughs) Songs about the road and the regular series, part three. I was thinking the other day that painters and artists are a much more robust on the whole bunch of people than us. Defeat, defeat, songwriters. I mean, in painting, there's this idea of au plein air, painting outdoors, out in the rain with a pounding sea, the howling gale, the earthquake and the volcanic eruption. I mean, they're a hardy group. Tell how the paper survives such excitement. I don't know. Do songwriters do that? at all. Do they write, think, create outdoors? Beethoven probably did, particularly in the Pastoral Symphony. He walked through the hills around him, listening. He said he he preferred to talk to trees than people. Though quite what a conversation would be like between a deaf German composer and a thickly accented Scots pine, I cannot imagine. But the posh bunch, the composers of orchestral works, definitely, definitely did listen. There's the Raindrop Sonata by Chopin, with the repeating drip, drip, drip of an A-flat capturing the rain around him and his mood, probably, to the frustration of George Sand. In fact, the whole bunch of orchestral composers quite regularly draw on a whole menagerie of birds, cuckoos, nightingales, larks. Though I've yet to hear a piece of music influenced by a penguin. The sounds around us and music. When I was a kid, my mum used to sing songs all the time. One of them was the runaway train. The runaway train came down the track and she blew. She blew. The runaway train came down the track and she blew. She blew. You can hear the train. And then there's a magnificent song, the Rock Island Line. If you want to hear this again, Go and hear the lead belly version. It starts slowly, drawing breath and suddenly exhaling and drawing breath and suddenly exhaling and drawing breath and suddenly exhaling until it is chugging along like a magnificent old steam locomotive. Then there's the sound of the chain gang and the sea. Perhaps it's more present than I gave it credit for. Perhaps we do get outside. Perhaps we do listen. I think I have twice, at least. Once was a song called Badger Hill, and it grew out of a memory 
of cycling on summer days through the low hills all around me and that ecstatic, beautiful, serene, wonderful sensation of taking your feet off the pedals and freewheeling as far as you could. Staying on without touching the pedals till the last impossible wobbly moment. Yeah, that definitely went into that song. And then there was a time when Tim and the Bishop would give me backing tracks they'd recorded. No melody, just chords and a rhythm. And I would put the headphones on and walk and walk and walk until I could hear the song emerging. And for this particular one, Lemon Street, I was actually on my headphones walking through London on an incredibly hot day. One of those days where the city is squashed with heat. Yet everyone battles on the noise of the cars and the chatter and suddenly shouts out of the nowhere that come at you. And the brakes and the bells and the music out of shops and the busyness, the busyness, busyness of it all. That definitely, that definitely went into Lemon Street. And in fact, when we recorded it years ago, we talked about it and yet we went and put the sounds back in. So here is Opané, Lemon Street.
here's a little thing for you, Steve. Uh, an orchestral piece about penguins. Sorted. In 1933, English composer Herbert Howells, uh, he wrote a, a short piece intended as ballet music called Penguinsky, uh, a sort of response to Stravinsky's pan-European, but with his Russian roots, um, in, in response to the, the decades ahead of its time, Petrushka, or Rite of Spring, that were back in the early 1910s. Um, so it's a British take on some sort of Russian ballet music, really. Uh, one critic at the time said... Herbert Howell's Penguinsky showed us the most dignified of feathered fowls, the penguin, robbed of their wanted dignity by dancing naiads. I don't know what a dancing naiad is, but it sounds painful. Anyway, the piece was lost for 70 years after its premiere, uh, and it was restored and recorded back in 2000, I think. So, go and check it out. Uh, and now, for some light relief after the madness of Lemon Street, here is the serene calm of... Badger Hill. There's a boy on a bike with some beer in a bag Scooting down a summer's day, never coming back Hey now, to Badger Hill There's a girl that is waiting with a smile on her face Swears just the cutest thing, the whole human race From Badger Hill Swimming out in the old mill pond Fish between her toes and the stream beyond Willows weeping as the shadows grow Calling for a breeze as the daylight slows There's children building castles and twigs and schemes of mud Just a call to do it, something in the blood Of Badger Hill Sailing across the barley, the wheat and the corn Watch the mist rising in the early, early morn Over Badger Hill Swimming out in the old mill pond Fish between her toes and the stream beyond Willows weeping as the shadows grow Calling for a breeze as the daylight slows Shadows grow, 
again and welcome to Kev's Cafe Corner where these days I'm talking about my Camino experience when I walked from Santander in the north of Spain all the way to Santiago de Compostela. You may remember last time dear listener on Saturday October the 10th I'd stumbled upon a pilgrim's rest at a private residence where I could finally quench my thirst. After a short break, refreshed and uplifted, I continued onwards, past babbling brooks which were to become something of a theme on the trip, waterfalls and through seemingly primeval forests that appeared to exist cheek by jowl with a modern motorway. As I crested one hill, I saw a young woman picking apples, a wicker basket on her arm. She waved cheerily and wished me buen camino. It was a pastoral scene so very perfect, I wondered if I'd imagined it. Strange things happen to your mind when you're walking. The weather was still unkind and the wet kit in my backpack was worrying me. A little further down the road I found an alberg and briefly considered calling it a day. But as I drew nearer I noticed police tape all around it. It had been closed due to Covid and looked for all the world like a set from a movie about a zombie apocalypse. But out front were two large wooden picnic benches. I stopped to rest my burden and make a coffee and noticed a long wooden fence that was running along the length of the property by the roadside, the kind you hitch horses to at a saloon. And then, as if by magic, the rain stopped and the sun came out. I emptied my backpack in a frenzy and within minutes, everything, tent, sleeping bag, bedroll, etc., was out on the fence and steaming in the unexpected sunshine. What a gift! It must have shone for a good 90 minutes, and I rested there while it did its work. The kit wasn't dry, but it was a lot better. As the clouds threatened again, I stowed my gear and set off once more. Eventually, I reached the outskirts of my intended destination, Villa Vicciosa, and I sat down by a church on the outskirts, watched warily by what I can only assume was the church cat, and searched online for some accommodation. A beautiful old-world hotel in the centre seemed to be the cheapest option, so I went for that. Upon arrival, I immediately jumped in the bath, which could have been hotter, but it was paradise nevertheless, compared to the privations of the road. I had intended to head out to buy some food for the evening, but the rains came down with a vengeance. So I headed downstairs and found the hotel cafeteria, which really, to my dismay, only served coffee and cakes, but the woman behind the counter was kind and took pity on me and somehow rustled me up chicken schnitzel, egg and chips, a mother and child reunion, if you will. It was delicious. I went to bed that night and slept the sleep of the just. Next time, the mountain that nearly broke me.
quick Bishop's Daily Bread this week. Uh, I bought myself something which might just change my life. It's a little magnetic whiteboard that sticks to the front of my fridge. It has seven little segments to it, one for each day of the week. So I'm going to write up what I plan to eat for tea or dinner. That's another topic entirely, tea or dinner. Uh, I'm going to write up what I plan to eat each day. Already it started to transform things. I know exactly what the plan is each day for the whole week for evening meals. Uh, I can schedule it into my thinking. Uh, Now, last night was something I haven't had for a long, long time. Cottage pie. Um, I hadn't quite thought through how long it would take to make, although I had pre-planned enough to get all the bits I needed, just about. Um, I thought I'd be crafty and make the mash alongside the the beef component, save some time, uh, and all went fine, uh, except then the recipe said to leave the beef to simmer for 45 minutes. Um, This was taking a lot longer than I'd planned. Uh, At that point, I also realised I'd only made about half the mashed potatoes I needed. So, uh, whilst the beef simmered, I made more mash. Um, It was all coming together Longer than planned, but the result was going to be good. I knew it. Um, I stacked it up in the dishes, one for the freezer, one for right now. I even piped the potato on. Yes, piped the potato on. What a ridiculous state to have ended up in. Only 2021 could have brought that. Uh, But piped the potato, I did. Uh, But then, another wait for 30 minutes in the oven. Uh, What can I do in the meantime? So I, I knocked up a quick fruit crumble for pudding. Nigel Slater's crumble, butter, flour, demerara sugar, oats, absolute winner. Uh, By now, it was about two hours after I'd hoped to have been eating, uh, so things had really not gone to plan timing-wise, despite the whiteboard revelation. Big picture stuff, yes, that will help, but details not quite there yet. Uh, The result, however, was delicious. Hearty, flavoursome, comforting cottage pie with creamy mash on the top with a little bit of a crispy crust on top. And then a pear and plum crumble with vanilla custard to finish. Proper nostalgia-filled meal, primary school through and through, but absolutely delicious, life-affirming. As good a medicine as you'd hope to receive, to be honest. that's it for this week thank you for listening wherever in the world you are subscribe to the podcast we're on apple podcasts soundcloud spotify amazon podcasts and now youtube as well Uh, the next episode will be out next friday join us on youtube for the transatlantic connection show and become part of the transatlantic connection movement head to youtube.com slash the long road band if you fancy buying us a coffee you now can at buymeacoffee.com slash the long road it's dead simple just to drop us a few quid to support what we do it even accepts apple pay and google pay super easy All of our music and merch is on Bandcamp, where you can help support a positive ecosystem for the music industry. Download, streaming, vinyl, CD, the companion book, it's all there. Thelongroadband.bandcamp.com We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash thevagabondway. Big thank you to our Patreons and a special shout out to Orla Flynn, James Lydon, Stuart Lydon, Yvette Lydon and Trish Taylor. Thank you for your ongoing support. If you'd like to support us to become a vagabonder, you'll get free digital stuff and merchandise in the post if you want it. Help us create something different, something that entertains and something that inspires others. Join us on the journey and release The Vagabond Within. Patreon.com slash The Vagabond Way. Thank you once again, brave adventurers, vagabonds and explorers, for joining us on The Vagabond Way. Remember, the world isn't beige. It's authentic, it's rich and it's real. Embrace every last bit of it. Until next time, the journey goes ever on with The Long Road. Bye for now. (laughs) 